work stoppage audio local 420 john's audio. <laughs> <laughs> come on studio one you can do it come on studio one finally studio two <laughs> <laughs> yo i'm back oh, wait hold on My, i'm too loud hold on let's make sure everybody's on the pod before we start announcing which hosts are back <laughs> i'm back <laughs> All right, yeah, I, I have local waveform now. All right, roll tape. Lena's back, everyone. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That's oh, right. shit. Uh, I uh, missed everyone. I hope that no one succumbed to labor peace while I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. she was busy wasting away again in Margaritaville while the rest of us... <laughs> I'm <laughs> just joking around. Uh, nobody goes Good. to Margaritaville under the age of 55. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do those exist as freestanding restaurants? Because I've only ever seen those in casinos, <laughs> which seems oh. like their natural environment, to be honest. I, I, I think, think that there's also one in like Disney World. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I think there's a few down in Florida as well, yeah. where you have a you can kind of fake a Caribbean vibe a little bit. Yeah, um, and you whoa. got the whole retiree community. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, that's a good question. Is there like a a Margaritaville smack in the middle of Columbus, Ohio, or something? Right. You know? <laughs> that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, because it's not. I don't feel like you don't go to like you know your your local strip mall food court where you've got your you know. Your Fuddruckers, your uh, I don't know, your Chipotle, and then mm-hmm. a Margaritaville. I don't I don't know that it it necessarily falls into well, that niche. Well, I mean, we're gonna unionize that one too. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Hey, look, the, the Margaritaville workers deserve better wages, better benefits, and to finally find that damn salt shaker. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, this we're we're gonna we're gonna do a super long cold open for a super long episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's <laughs> looking forward to that inevitable turn to being a purely Jimmy Buffett podcast. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> That's I just called know. growing I mean, we, up. <laughs> then we would uh, then then we would be like, oh yeah, look at this uh, this new trucker strike. This one's definitely legitimate. Uh, definitely oh, yeah. not just another astroturfed. Uh, you know, garbage protest against workers' rights. Well, thank you for segueing us into the actual cold <laughs> open because we did. I did want to talk about this. Uh, so this is a trucker quote unquote protest that has been shutting down a bunch of operations at a port in California. This is in Oakland, and uh, a bunch of statements that haven't actually been attributed to any one person are present in this article. Like the shutdown will further uh, exacerbate. Well, hold on. What was the one that I was trying to find? Um, I'm sorry. I missed. I've. <laughs> I launched into a thing incorrectly. I took you off guard. Yeah, you did. You you messed me up. But um. So there's this there's this organization in California that has been calling for for this. Um. What is the name of this damn organization? I I had it just a minute ago. This is embarrassing. Um, okay. It's okay. I'm going to cut the whole thing. Yeah. There's an organization <laughs> called the California trucking association, right. which has, has, uh, called this, this strike and port blockade. And I have been trying to figure out what the fuck the California trucking association is for like an hour now on my computer. <laughs> and I cannot get a read on it. Ch- it's the chamber of commerce, yes. but, but for, but for truckers in California, the biggest casino in America. 
Yeah, because like I, I could think because like people who don't follow labor, I could totally forgive for being like, oh, California Trucking Association. That's like, say, the California Nurses Association, right? That's like a union, right? No, because the truckers union is, as I mean, listeners of this show will be well aware, is uh, the Teamsters. Right. Uh, and the California Trucking Association is a trade group. It is yeah. uh, It is like uh, if folks have listened to our episodes, because this is the, the comparison I couldn't help but think of. If you listen to any of our episodes about various U.S. coups, uh, when we've talked about um, Chile, one of the big things there was strikes by small business owners who own trucking firms to try and destabilize the Allende government, uh, you know, partially just for their own perceived class interests, but also, you know, with the help of the CIA. And so like these sorts of, this sort of thing just reminds me exactly of the same sort of thing. And of course, I mean, the freedom convoy, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, from up in Canada where, like the bill that these guys are protesting, which they're like, oh, this is going to destroy flexibility for workers and da da da, all this bullshit. The bill that they're mad about, AB5 in California, what it does is it does, and it's not perfect. It's got all these stupid fucking carve outs in it that it shouldn't have. Didn't but we, I, think, I thought we covered it like two episodes ago when I was here. We, we covered like the XPO logistics truckers but i don't know that we covered the bill more broadly but like the bill is aimed at doing something we've been calling for for a long time which is you know getting rid of misclassification as a way of evading labor law and these truckers quote unquote are like now demanding that there be a carve out for truckers in it despite the fact (laughs) that if you actually go look at the actual trucker union, the Teamsters, they were one of the primary sponsors of the bill because it will benefit actual truckers. Right. But Dan, the the independent contractors can't be forced to work on a whim for low wages. Yeah, they can't be forced <laughs> to sit in like two hour lines at the port while not getting paid at all because they're contractors instead of employees. How will we run our economy if we yeah. can't get free labor? Well, and there were statements in this article from SFGate that were saying things like they've expressed concern that uh, containers will continue to to bottleneck and and sit on ships and and the industry won't be able to move more product around. And it's like, hey, these anybody who has a job knows these aren't the concerns of the actual workers nobody cares like no starbucks barista is like man i just don't think enough coffee is going through this place like nobody (laughs) thinks that way (laughs) yeah like like if you had a bunch of truckers out that are like this bill's gonna cause me to lose my health insurance i'd be like okay well maybe i'll you know look into this maybe it is actually but it you're not seeing that because it's not what this bill would do like it's just i just wanted to mention this when we you know we're opening it because like as a story, I don't really give a shit about the concerns of the California Truckers Association because it's a trade group. Um, but I have seen some people who are not as familiar with this sort of thing online be like, "Oh, look, this is a this is a working class uprising against like liberal state regulation." And it's like that's not what this is at all. <laughs> this is a, <laughs> no, yeah, this is angry no. small business tyrants worried they're actually going to have to pay their employees. Yes. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> let's dive right into This is 
stoppage, everybody. <laughs> We're an entirely listener-supported labor show, so thank you so much for any money you might be tossing us on the Patreon. The Patreon is where we host our shop floor discussions, our overviews of the conditions of capitalism, uh, and our interviews, like the interview that we just did with Lance, who is a worker at RDU1 and uh, came on to talk to us about the organizing effort and the conditions they face. If you're not in the Discord yet, get in there. It's free, and if you are a patron and you don't have your stickers yet, go ahead and message us on Patreon. If you want to help the show a little more, leave us a five-star review wherever you think it will be effective, uh, preferably in some kind of permanent ink. But uh, let's bring you the good news first. So we're going to talk about some Planned Parenthood workers and some Guttmacher Institute workers who have all collectively uh, managed to secure some collective bargaining power, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Yeah, so this is like kind of following up in the vein where we've had all these reproductive rights workers recently unionizing to try and secure their rights at work, even as we are, you know, losing access to rights to control our own bodies, thanks to the unelected Supreme Court. We we talked previously about workers in Massachusetts who won their union, and then last week we talked about the workers at the Guttmacher Institute who won their union, and now we've got over 400 Planned Parenthood workers at clinics across the upper Midwest, workers in Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, North Dakota, and South Dakota recently voted in a landslide vote of 90%. 238 to 26 in favor of unionizing with SEIU Healthcare Minnesota and Iowa, which this is really great. I mean, we've talked about in the past of all the the issues faced by these workers and the fact that it's really easy at so many jobs where people are genuinely doing incredibly critical work to our society for employers to then take advantage of that and, you know, get those workers to work longer hours for less compensation because they don't have union protections. And so absolutely. Yeah, this is really great to see. And we, we have a quote here from one of the workers at Planned Parenthood in Nebraska who voted you know, to unionize, Ashley Smith, who told CBS, this is an amazing day and will make Planned Parenthood an even better space for our patients and for those of us doing this critical life-saving work, end quote. And so, yeah, now you have these workers along with the Massachusetts Planned Parenthood workers who are going forward in uh, you know search of their first contract. And that will, of course... Be an example, a, a time period to test Planned Parenthood, the organization's commitment to the progressive goals that they claim to have. So we'll definitely yeah. be watching how that contract struggle goes. I think we need a term for when you like blow a super majority out of the water, like a turbo majority <laughs> or something, because we yeah. got another one coming up as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're you're referring to America's Test Kitchen, mm-hmm. where uh, workers have won their union drive with a total of 105 to 17 back on <laughs> Tuesday, July 21st, uh, four oh, days yeah. ago. It's the, currently the 25th. Uh, they joined CWA Local 1400, where we have a little quote here from, can I get it? Can I get a name? Jackie Goschenauer, I guess. Yeah. That, uh, from, from Better than I would ja- have done. Yeah, from Jackie Goschenauer. I mean, if I mispronounce that, sorry. Uh, uh, they they are a, fo- a photo test cook. Uh, they told Boston.com, I am ecstatic about this win. The executive team says that they are willing to negotiate in good faith, and now it's time to hold them accountable for this. Now is the time to show that we, the heart of the company, can be trusted with more transparency and a more powerful voice uh, in the big decisions and yeah i mean that's awesome it's what we talk about all the time saying hey this is where you spend most of your life you should be able to at least have a say in how it how it all goes down and uh i mean 
Honestly, the workers are the experts when it comes to how to do their own job. Yeah, absolutely. And I love it when you hear workers say things like uh, the executive team says they're willing to negotiate in good faith. And now it's time to hold them accountable to this. uh, Because, uh, you know, one of the criticisms we have levied against some drives in the past has been that, like, they seem to take the boss's word for things somewhat often. And when workers in 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 a way that's baked into their language uh, show you that they have no intention of doing that, I think that's really, really big energy and often leads to big success. Yeah, so really excited to see this win by the America's Test Kitchen workers. And continuing our little lightning round of follow-ups here, uh, we've got uh, just quick check-in with the Activision workers. We mentioned uh, a little, like a couple episodes ago, I think, that the they were going to be holding a walkout in protest of gender inequity at Activision across all of its many different studios. And I mean, just partially just as an illustration of how big uh, Activision is as a company. Uh, I mean, the walkout was participated uh, in by over 450 employees in Texas, California, New York, Minnesota, and other states. So, like, that's all over the country. Um, You know, folks coming out, walking off the job to demonstrate their commitment to, you know, fighting for, like, better workplace conditions for all the workers at Activision Blizzard. And this is actually the fifth major organized walkout at Activision in the last year, which is really showing, I think, the the militancy of, like, the, you know, uh, the game workers movement that is really developing mm-hmm. within, you know, Activision yeah. and across, like, the whole industry. A walkout almost every two months? I mean, that's, that's just fucking awesome. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll, you know, we'll see even more as, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe the repression... Will actually, you know, who knows with the whole Microsoft merger and all that, you know, become a patron and check out that that discussion that we had about the the uh, neutrality, uh, neutrality agreement. agreement. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and we do have a quote here from Valentin Powell, who is a senior engineer on World of Warcraft, who told reporters, "quote We need to make sure that all of our LGBT people, all of the people at ABK with the capacity for pregnancy, all of the women at the company, feel safe and protected, and that they have the ability to live in places that aren't going to actively harm them." Which is just like absolutely huge, and and you love to see it when workers are doing something that's not just a matter of like dollars and cents, but is also a matter yeah. of like materially improving the lives of all of the different kinds of people that they work with absolutely yeah. yeah well and to keep going through this you know we have got a lot of stories we're going to cover today folks so uh we're going to be following up on the medieval times union and we know we said hey they won that was great uh but because of that there was another uh medieval times in buena park California, which just filed for an NLRB election, where just five days after they uh, the New Jersey victory, they got a super majority of their coworkers to sign union cards. It's fucking amazing! And I mean, like they they point out in uh, this article, um, or I guess this this Twitter uh, discussion or whatever, but uh, that the conditions at this particular medieval times are even more dangerous than the what the workers face in New Jersey, and they're subject to, to even worse uh, benefits from this very dangerous work. I mean, Jake Bowman, who uh, works as a knight at the Buena Park location, who had recently fractured his thumb during a performance, uh, said, as cool it is, as it is that I get to 
wake up every day and pretend to be a knight. It's a ridiculously dangerous job. I really want to get this point across. It's not safe what we're doing right now. It's not healthy, and I love this job. And, like good on these workers for being like hey uh you know what is it uh yeah don't don't quit organize right you know yeah i mean absolutely and i mean as you were saying like uh, there were some some stuff in this this because this is coming from an article from dave jamieson at huff post and like there were some of the details in there about like what the workers are facing there because i guess this the buena park location is like the busiest medieval times in the chain uh and they are on average now, I guess, doing like 16 shows a week, which that's a lot. <laughs> if you're like doing fucking jousting and jumping off horses and like uh, all this like really strenuous, like physical labor, like 16 performances a week is, is, is pretty ridiculous. Like, uh, and, and that's for the incredible pay rate for some workers who have been there for a decade of $21 an hour which like that's not an incredible wage in a lot of the country, but especially in like California, I don't know how like that's supposed to be, you know, you've worked someplace for a decade and you're making like at most 42 grand a year. Like, I don't know how you're dealing with the California cost of living right now with that. So like, really pointing to exactly why these workers need a union and emphasizing that was uh, Julia McCurdle, who's one of the actresses who plays a queen at uh, you know this location, who said, we wouldn't be here now if we hadn't exhausted all our other options. I'm failing to see the downside of having someone whose literal job is to advocate for us. Hell yeah, go off, queen. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, unfortunately, closing out this lightning round, we do have a uh, rather sad quick follow-up here. Uh, the, the details are still pretty murky on this, which is why we did, this isn't like a bigger separate story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to pull together everything I could find about this, and that was not very much. But so last, not last week, but uh, two weeks ago as of our current recording, which is on the 25th, was Prime Week, which is Amazon's big hullabaloo. They're like middle of the year Black Friday deal where they're like, we're going to make a ton of money by offering a bunch of sales and driving a shitload of of transactions, which of course means a ton of work for all of the folks that actually work at Amazon. And what that resulted in this year was uh, the death of a worker at the EWR9 warehouse in Carteret, New Jersey, uh, which I believe is just outside of Newark. And again, there is not a lot of information about this. Chris Smalls did visit the warehouse. And so, so like a lot of the details we have in here, I, I got from you know his Twitter where he talked about where he went and talked to the workers at the facility who told him that the worker had notified their management that he was experiencing chest pains, but they didn't call medical authorities for an hour. And he was unconscious on the floor for 20 minutes before medics even arrived. And like after that happened, you know, they, they got him in an ambulance, but he later died uh, at the hospital on the like, and this is yeah. he'd been working as like what they call a water spider, which is basically somebody who moves from like station to station to station, making sure that they're stocked. And he was doing this on a, a floor in the facility that was known for having particularly high temperatures. And obviously, everybody's aware of you know the the big heat wave we've been having here on the East Coast. And so, this is just you know yet another situation where Amazon's pace of work is, you know, that's 
it. That's everything when you're at Amazon. Uh-huh. Nothing else yeah. matters. The safety of the workers is inconsequential. I mean, in any sane society, this would be like a n- negligent homicide, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's social murder is is the way that we tend to to phrase mm-hmm. it. But I mean, also, uh, I mean, just the idea that he's supposed to be providing resources to, for people to do their job. And the water spider makes me think. I originally thought he's like uh, making sure that everybody has like actual like water or whatever. I don't think that that's the case. Oh, I if only that was a job at Amazon, yeah, no, they would never right. take that good a care. No, but yeah. uh, I mean, like in that same thought, I mean, Amazon denies that this was their fault at all, saying, "Oh, he never told us," uh, and you know it just isn't a problem uh he it was just a coincidence and i'm like yo are you fucking kidding me the the yeah i mean it just reminds honestly the amazon's response to this reminds me so much when we back way back when we covered like the kafala system and like construction projects in in like the you know in saudi arabia in the very in the uae Mm -hmm. in, in qatar where you'll have all of these you know people all these workers who've been brought in to be, you know, low paid wage labor from Southeast Asia. And so many of them get pushed so hard at work that they die. And then their, their deaths are just recorded. Oh, this was a completely unrelated heart condition accident has nothing to do with the job and you can't get any, you know, compensation whatsoever. And it, I think the pitches, the parallels, I just think are too hard to miss there where you've just got this, this culture from Amazon where the workers are completely disposable and it just inevitably leads to this sort of tragedy. And of course, uh, in a, if OSHA was actually meant to do what it is nominally said that it's meant to do, you'd have some really big investigation. They probably shut down the warehouse to try and, you know, evaluate what's going on and, and hold Amazon accountable. But I'm not holding my breath for that to happen yeah it's almost certain i mean if there's they didn't even find them when all the people died in that tornado so Mm -hmm. i mean this is this is going to be another of the same of our failed system but um i guess our in our next story we're going to be following up on the chipotle that we said uh tried to unionize in maine in augusta maine where uh you know they are taking a big page out of Howard Schultz's playbook, and they actually just closed the the store. Um, and basically, in just in straight response to the union uh, authorization vote, they were going through the stipulation process, and as soon as they were about to get a date, uh, the the company is just like, "Well, no, this store doesn't even exist." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this one is. Uh, I- I honestly I think like Chipotle's excuse here makes even less sense than like the Starbucks excuse for closing their stores cuz like they put they sent out an email to staff where they said despite the considerable time and resources we've spent trying to staff the restaurant we don't have the management necessary to reopen and combined with the ongoing callouts and lack of availability of existing staff we won't be able to open the restaurant for the foreseeable future oh my this god this makes me think that they couldn't find anti-union enough managers and they're just like oh we can't properly union bust you so we're just going to shut down your building well, and I think the timing of it coming as it did, the the morning that the workers were supposed to be having their NLRB hearing to confirm that they had enough signatures and then set a date, I mean, that to me is basically the smoking gun on this, that it's like, this has nothing to do with whether you can staff the place or not. You f- close the store now because if the NLRB had had the hearing and granted 
the NLRB election for the union, then that would have massively increased scrutiny on it. And so by closing the store beforehand, you can just say, what union drive? The NLRB never sanctioned a union drive at the location before we closed it. What are you talking about? So yeah, I don't know. It's it's extremely frustrating, and I mean, so we have a quote here from uh, one of the main organizers of Chipotle United, Brandy McNeese, who put out a statement saying, this is union busting 101, and there's nothing that motivates us to fight harder than this underhanded attempt to shut down the labor movement within their stores. They're scared because they know how powerful we are, and if we catch fire like the unionization effort at Starbucks, they won't be able to stop us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which, like, yeah, I mean, that's exactly that. I Look, I, I just want to commend them because, like, that's exactly the right attitude to have, but it's one that I feel like in in the immediate like aftermath of this would is kind of tough to have because like with how shitty the our labor law is, how toothless it is, I feel like it's very easy to fall into, you know, a sort of a bit of despair about this sort of thing because right. like it, it's easy to look at this and be like, oh, well, organizing an independent union is impossible. They can just close the store. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, even in that, I mean, for one, there's going to be, uh, you know, unfair labor practices that are filed. But then on top of that, uh, they didn't even stop the union movement because on That's July right. 11th, Chipotle workers in Delta Township, Michigan, filed for an NLRB election. And uh, so it looks like the Chipotle union is a still going. Yeah. And, and there was, I did see there was a big rally, um, the day that this was announced at the store where a bunch of local folks came out to show their support for these workers in Augusta. Uh, I mean, I think even like one of the like co- congressional representatives was like, Hey, this seems wrong, which like, I'm not a whole, I'm again, I'm not expecting anything to come out of like a state investigation into this, but like, I don't know. It just, to me, speaks to the idea that, like, Chipotle is thinking that they can brush this under the rug. And I think that the workers at this facility are are showing that they have the resolve that that's not true. And so, like, as you said, Lena, like, with this expanding to Michigan and the workers there holding strong and seeming to have, like, the community support, I just think this whole thing really underlines, along with, like, the Starbucks store closings, why it's so important for the major unions, even if these independent unions aren't affiliated with them, even if they are really independent and you're not, you know, you're not, if you're the Teamsters, you're not getting new members from the ALU or whatever. It's so important that like the Teamsters, the SEIU, the fucking AFL CIO, maybe stop going to conferences with Littler Mendelssohn personnel, Liz Schuler, and instead do something to support these workers. Yeah. Um, because like the resources that those unions have, are the sorts of things that can help enable these independent unions to weather this sort of storm and actually be able to maintain their momentum long enough to get to a place like where Starbucks Workers United is, where they have so many stores unionized now that even though they, you know, they're trying to close some of the more militant ones, they're trying to stem the tide of growth, there's no realistic way they can completely destroy the movement. And that's that's what we need the independent the uh, the major unions to do to help the independent unions get to that point where they can be self-sustaining in that way. 
Right. And I mean, in the same kind of uh, notion of scorched earth policy that these companies have kind of imposed on, on their own facilities where they will literally shut down the facilities that make them money in order to stop workers from having a say in their uh, work conditions. We have another example where Amy's Kitchen, the one that we've covered, this will be the third or fourth time we've covered them. And uh, they have actually shut down the uh, facility that was trying to organize in San Jose. Uh, and I, I just like, obviously, this is ridiculous. Doesn't this is another one of those so-called progressive companies where Amy's Kitchen is like, oh, we have ethical, more ethical food or whatever, or yeah, I don't know, or maybe it's just that they have right. really fancy ass shit that's that's not worth buying. Uh, but, but yeah, they're, it's ridiculous that, that these companies can get away with this sort of thing. And it just shows how toothless, uh, some of our labor law is and how important it is that we build up this, uh, this fighting union movement to actually stop this shit from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this story is just, this is another one that is just. You know, the companies put together this whole uh, cover story of lies for why they closed this place. But when you actually, like, when reporters have looked into the details, it's, it's again, it just falls apart. Where, so, like, workers showed up uh, last Monday at the San Jose plant for their normal shifts. Uh, the, the folks that show up, like, real early, like, at, like, 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at 7 a.m., they hastily called all the employees into, like, the little cafeteria or auditorium there, and they were like, uh, we're closing, you're all fired, um, go get your stuff and leave. And one of the things that people pointed out was that, so, because this is the thing, the, the company is blaming inflation. They're saying, they put out a statement saying, Despite the company's substantial investment in plant improvements, the facility has been unable to overcome current economic hurdles, including abrupt price increases on goods and supply chain disruptions. Yeah. I actually did a double take the first time I read that statement because I had just read the statement from Chipotle like four minutes earlier, and they are <laughs> literally indistinguishable from each other, mm-hmm. except one says facility and one says restaurant. <laughs> yeah, and and... They're, they're, this whole thing, they're like, oh, well, it's inflation, it's costs of goods, but they still, when they closed the San Jose plant, it still had a we're hiring sign out in front mm-hmm. because they had been continuously hiring because of, not again, insufficient labor to meet their demand, and all this is happening at the same time they are in the process of building a giant new manufacturing plant in New York and renovating their corporate headquarters and uh, you know they also have recently purchased and are continuing to maintain a corporate private jet. So, uh, and and again, this is a company that made six hundred million dollars in profits in twenty twenty. So the idea that like the any increase in supply costs, and I'm sure there are some increase in supply costs, but the idea that those are so high that they have to close this facility that they only opened last year. Mm-hmm. Yo, like, like the the nonsense. inflation is high because their prices are up. The inflation right. is high because their their uh you know CEOs want more money. Like, and they're they're trying they're doing cuts to the workers, not because it's actually going to make the money. In fact, this is going to cost them money because of all of the infrastructure that they have just thrown away after 100%. what this place was. This place was up for only a year. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I like mean, maybe a year and a half. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, and so now they're like, oh no, we uh, suddenly the the numbers are no longer adding up. When like we know well and good that that is not at all how business works well show us the numbers you know they never do like if they weren't lying they would give you exact figures or at least ballpark it that's all i'm saying like and and i mean everybody who goes to the fucking grocery store knows how companies respond to higher inputs they just raise their prices Mm -hmm. that's it (laughs) that's why everything at the like i mean a lot of that is is not because of increases in inputs it's just because you have a few monopoly firms like you know tyson purdue that dominate like chicken and like conagra and some other cargill that dominate other meat products that are just like boy what if we all just raise prices at the same time nobody could do anything it would be great we'll make all this money (laughs) yeah but even if they don't do that like even if it's because because i go to aldi and they'll tell you like oh your potatoes are from this farm in this place in michigan your cherries are from this farm in this place in michigan and all that shit keeps going up too so yeah (laughs) it's just across the board you know yeah so the idea that like like cost inputs meant they had to close a a facility they'd had open for barely a year Mm -hmm. and lay off 300 workers and that that's why they did it and not because of the union drive that the workers had been doing there like it's it just it doesn't pass the sniff test but the frustrating thing about that is that it doesn't have to like the no state regulator in california is going to do anything about this like uh, fucking the department of labor is not going to do anything like it's the sort of thing that it's businesses are so easily able to use this to excuse oh, business reasons. Cause that's what so much of this shit comes down to. Why'd you close your store? Why'd you close this plant? Why'd you close all this? Uh, because we were doing business and business said that it was unprofitable. And that's all I have to say. It's like the same thing where like the government could just arrest you and just say national security. And that's it. Like, oh, it's, or, or it's like it, when they build the algorithm to, to help the police or whatever. And then the algorithm is racist and it's right. like, we, we built this anti-union algorithm and then the, algorithm told us to close the unionizing store <laughs> nothing we could do about it it's like yeah, fuck you yeah. man like <laughs> yeah there yeah. is like uh and if you look at this chart uh it says that uh business isn't good and they're just like uh y- your chart is un- is covered uh, and there is like <laughs> can you can you uncover the chart oh no we can't do that <laughs> yeah well because yeah, if they did it would just be an unlabeled x-axis and a y-axis that says uh squeeze blood from stone and <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 it's like ceo happiness level basically yeah, exactly yeah, it's so this fucking sucks i feel you know it, our hearts go out to these workers in san jose who got laid off because they were unionizing yeah well that wraps up our our follow-ups though you know, <laughs> yeah for now and we get to move to what well, actually i think this is a really important thing because because uh, it, it reminds me of what you were saying is the uh, the kafala system earlier reminded me of how we did that kind of long series of episodes where we were constantly uh, covering like modern day slavery. And this is another sort of, of thing like that uh, where a, a child labor is alive and well in the U.S., folks. Mm-hmm. And, and not just on farms, because I think people are aware of that, that like there are carve outs for like agricultural labor. Uh, which those are also questionable and should be examined. But like, I think some people are at least aware of that. But, oh no, this is your classical style of child labor. where yeah, you have little, little hands in the looms. Yeah, 12-year-olds working in a fucking metal stamping plant. Yeah, so this story came out on Friday. This is wild. This is out of Reuters, um, where they exposed that Hyundai, so this is not some... Not some small outfit you've never heard of that happens to be employing minors, which would still be very bad. 
But right. like, you know, this is one of the biggest car manufacturers in the world who they have a metal stamping plant in Alabama that provides like, uh, you know, major component parts for a lot of like the most common like Hyundai lines out there. And uh, whistleblowers came forward to explain that this metal stamping plant routinely employs children, uh, some as young as 12, uh, and and that like this is just the sort of thing that's considered normal by the plant management there. This is like fucking wild. Yeah, I mean, the it was literally like a family member who said that three children in their family worked both uh, from the ages 12, 14, and 15. And then that's not even to mention that one of the other former workers said that there were 50 underage workers mm-hmm. at the plant across all shifts. I mean, yeah. This is and, this is ridiculous, and not only is it. Uh, I mean, a lot of jobs, you know, you can children can legally start working at the age of fourteen generally in in the United States. But uh, when it comes to these really dangerous jobs, there's ex- there's like extreme limitations on what they can do legally until they're like eighteen. Well, I mean, as far as we can tell, these children were running the metal stamping presses. Yeah. Yeah, where there's like a lot of crushing and and cutting hazards and and just generally things that you wouldn't want around anybody under 18, maybe even 21. Uh, And then there's also a heavily racialized element to this Mm -hmm. as well, where a lot of these workers and and child workers in this facility are immigrants from Guatemala and other places in South and Central America. Uh, And so there's a lot of parallels between what you see in the agricultural industry as well. And uh, these workers are usually sourced through uh, like third party staffing agencies, which is a major problem that we've talked about a few times on this show. Uh, And one of the biggest issues with that is that companies like Hyundai do this on purpose so that when it does come out in the news, oh, there are 12 year olds running metal stamping presses, Hyundai can say, oh, that's just, you know, manpower or labor force or whichever stupid fucking right. company we hired. We didn't know anything about that, which frankly is, is patently a lie. You know, if you work in a facility that's run by, you know, a company that answers to another company, people from that parent company come by. <laughs> that yeah, happens. Yeah, because like the plant is technically run by a company called Smart Alabama LLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, no relation to the Smart Union, which is the uh, Railway Workers Union. Right. I just it's Correct. like because it's all caps, and I, I just see Smart, and I think, oh, it's the Railway Workers. No, this is some pro- private company that's like, yeah, we're gonna uh, have child labor uh, for building cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and this and that's the other thing though. I think that I think is really important about this is that. This is yet another example of the way that, like, companies within the U.S. weaponize their ability to hyper-exploit migrant workers. Because, like, this company, Smart, had actually been sued in a class action lawsuit for bringing migrant workers from Mexico into the U.S. who they told were being hired as engineers at this plant. Mm-hmm. And then when they got to the country, were, were tasked with doing janitorial work. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with doing janitorial work. The problem there is the blatant fraud <laughs> by the company. Uh, Again, and, real and Kafala system hours. Yeah, I Real, mean, the whole thing one here to is... one-to-one, really. Yeah, like, it, it's, it is these companies trying to find the absolute cheapest labor they can possibly get. And if that means breaking child labor laws, if that means breaking, you know, laws about, like, migration all these sorts of things and it, it it is it is clear that they were they have are targeting like 
migrant workers and their their whole families in doing this that because like the there's the understanding that if the exploitation is done to people from C- Central America, from Mexico, from South America, that there will not be the sort of response from the state if it was revealed that there would be if it was done to, you know, white kids. And there's it, it also goes in line with the fact that, like, part of what this shows is just, you know, the problem of how low wages are generally. Because I did see some people online, like, blaming the family they're like oh you knew your like 12 year old daughter was like going to work at this plant and i'm like if you see that and you're blaming the family and not the fact that like the parents clearly are being paid such dog shit wages that they can barely afford to survive and that's not the problem that you're seeing you are getting mad at the wrong person <laughs> yeah getting I mean, getting mad at the parents of of children who have to work it's like insane yeah yeah and like these kids are not in school they are they are basically just like little workers and that's it to the to these companies and they, they don't care and especially because they're it they're um immigrants they are it's so much easier for them to fall through the cracks and i mean i'm not surprised that they said that there was 50 underage workers uh at this plant because if it's harder to you know keep uh you know make sure that these kids are supposed to be in school or whatever you know it's what's going to happen and especially with the massive amount of exploitation that's happening in this industry, I I, I think that uh, this, I mean, honestly, there, there has to be such extreme repercussions for this that I am struggling to kind of think uh, besides, I don't know nationalizing the company like i i don't know i always go to that but i mean like what what even can you do besides like be like you know what you can't even do this anymore you're hyundai you're done well yeah i mean that's the obvious solution i mean the other solution would be to like i don't know put the ceo of smart in jail i mean i think that would be a good start um yeah but like yeah and the other thing though that was i think was also wild that was almost like a footnote in this investigation was that like Hyundai isn't even the only facility in this area that's been found to employ child workers because there's a chicken processing plant in Enterprise, Alabama, which is, I think, about 40 miles from where this Hyundai plant is that was also found to be employ- exploiting like underage, also Guatemalan migrant children at their chicken processing plant, which I struggle to think of which of those two places is a worse environment for a kid to be in a like a poultry processing plant or a metal stamping facility. It's I mean, it's all secondary, right? Like they should be in school. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's all awful shit. And the thing that's, I think probably the worst part of this is that because of the way that we have this, the shell game, of corporate ownership in the U S you have Hyundai denying any wrongdoing. You have smart denying any wrongdoing. They're mm-hmm. all just saying it was the staffing agencies and those staffing agencies probably don't even exist anymore. They probably like dissolved after they like got their contracts and got their money because we talked about on the show before, like it's so easy for these things to just close up shop, disappear and reopen under another name to evade like responsibility for all the various laws that they break. So, yeah. Like the, the business owner equivalent of uh, signing up for a service with a 10 minute email account yeah. <laughs> yeah so and and i mean you know smart of course put out a statement saying that they quote deny any allegation that they knowingly employed anyone who is ineligible for employment <laughs> knowingly which, like that's <laughs> i mean that what a flimsy statement i mean for one yeah. it's like 
yeah, we just don't check any of our records and we don't actually know anything about the workers here. We also don't care. Uh, you know, uh, please, <laughs> yeah. please look the other way. Yeah, we're um, not malicious. No repercu- yeah, there can be no repercussions for us. Yeah, we're, we're not malicious, okay? We're just incompetent and that's somehow better. Thanks for right. the pass. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, the big takeaway I had from this, from reading this story from Reuters is that like, I now just kind of assume this is a pr- rampant problem across the U.S. Because mm-hmm. the, 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 there's no way like that this is just you know these couple of facilities like this got became like sort of a big story on Friday. Although any you know anything that comes out on Friday is you know news dump day. Like it, because it's Hyundai, which is a big name, but like with this sort of subcontracting that is just so rampant in the U.S. Like I it's just like with the way that you know you have so many companies benefiting from prison slavery by using subcontractors and affiliates to purchase from prison slave labor mm-hmm. and disclaim responsibility. Same exact thing here with child labor. And it just, the whole thing just to me, it points, it's emblematic of the corrosive effects of the logic of capitalism when any sort of state system that attempts to contain it. Like it, it, it is to me emblematic of the idea that like trying to have this sort of like humane capitalism within like this social democratic shell is always a fool's errand because ultimately that logic of we need lower costs so that we can make higher profits is going to eat away at any regulation, any law, and it's going to incentivize breaking any law that gets in the way of doing that. And mm-hmm. so, like, uh, I'm still, you know, we're still for pro-worker reforms, but ultimately the whole fucking system's got to go. And and this story is, I think, a better example of that than than many that we talk about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I mean, it's well, truly shocking. We are not anywhere near done yet. I know that we have gone through a ton of these uh, these stories, and we are glad you're here with us. Our next one, we're actually going to—we've been covering a lot of stuff in the UK and, and uh, Britain lately. We're actually going to be talking again about that as the rail strike continues. We're going to be covering 115,000 royal mail workers who have authorized a vote to strike. Um so nearly unanimously uh, over the pa- uh, this past week, there was a vote from the Communication Workers Union that said, uh, you know, basically we're ready to strike unless, uh, you know, there's a significant pay rise and, uh, you know, receive some sort of dignity in their work. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, we, we always love to see a near unanimous strike vote. But I always th- I think it's a, it particularly impressive when it's a, a group of this size because like mm-hmm. 115,000 people and 97.6% of those who voted voted in favor of the strike. So, I mean, that tells you because look, any union is is like any social grouping of that size. It's a very like heterogeneous group of people. I'm sure there's people within there who don't think their union is particularly great. And yet they've been treated so shittily. <laughs> their their wages are so bad that 97.6% of them voted in favor of a strike, which is, you know, we love to see, but it's really emblematic of just how bad these workers have been treating. And so like we have a quote here from their general secretary, Dave Ward, uh, who said, while bosses rake in 758 million pounds in profit and shareholders take 400 million pounds, workers are expected to take a serious real terms pay cut. Postal workers won't accept their living standards being hammered by bosses who are typical of business leaders today. 
overpaid, underqualified, out of their depth. Which, this stuff rocks. I mean, like, that's part of the reason I like reporting on, like, labor from the UK is I feel like their big labor leaders do a much better job of just going after the bosses really aggressively. Like it's all like every leader there sounds like the teamsters. Yeah. (laughs) It it fucking rocks. I mean, the Royal mail came out and uh, released a statement where they were whining to the tune of quote, disappointed that members of the CWU have voted in favor of industrial action. And then the union responded quote, dry your eyes mate, which is like, (laughs) 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 that's the politest and somehow most, most like acidic fuck you I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing. Like they the, the unions like will clap back online. I love it. And in real life. It's and and it's in response to like again, arguing in bad faith. Mm-hmm. And, and I know this isn't the legalistic definition of bad faith, but it's the functional definition where the government has come in and said, "Oh, we'll give workers a pay increase of 5.5%," which you know, in another year might be fine. But the UK's got inflation in excess of 9% right now. Mm -hmm. So that barely covers half of just the cost of living increase from inflation, not to mention, you know, workers' wages having been frozen over the last several years from the pandemic. So, like, it's, as they they accurately said, that's a pay cut, not a pay increase, which is not a good faith way to be bargaining <laughs> right and then i mean i've been i watched uh some some uh of the coverage on this and they're talking about the bullshit which actually was a kind of uh coincidentally covered by john oliver as well is like toting out really? this wage pi- price spiral oh, yeah. nonsense where they're like oh if wages go up then that means prices go up and wages are what cause <laughs> inflation and just like that incredibly like brain dead uh, assessment of economics when they're just like and there's no such thing as the boss's cut like, yeah I- <laughs> yeah 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 no exactly there's in this like the fake version of capitalism where exploitation doesn't exist and like there's no such thing as surplus value there's there's no such thing as i don't know just any of the basics of how capitalism functions because like it, anybody who's been looking into the inflation crisis right now can really point out it's like this is mostly just profiteering. Like, yeah, there there is some real impacts, like the, the war in Ukraine and the gigantic sanctions boondoggle that the U.S. has put into place. That has had real effects on on some prices. And, and there are still some supply chain disruptions mm-hmm. because, you know, China has decided to prioritize people's lives over making Western businesses happy, which, you know, the U.S., of course, sees as a horrific crime. Um and so those those are real, but the vast majority of the impact of inflation is simply due to companies profiteering at the, quote, end of the pandemic to try and catch up to the profits that they had thought they were going to be making the years before. Right. And in a lot of their cases still did, but they're yeah. just taking this as an opportunity. I mean, like the actual like if you see that that chart that says how much profits have increased or or mm. compensation to to rich people has increased, the line is insane, like yeah, it's like vertical, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I don't want to hear these fucking crybabies out here like, oh, we can't raise wages because the, 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 like, honestly, we need to just straight up cut the budget of the leaders of these companies. Like, I, and by that, I mean, 
remove their positions entirely because they don't yeah. actually do shit. Like the workers are the ones out there who actually make this stuff happen. And you're saying we can't do anything but a pay cut. Yo, fuck off. Honestly, I that that, that I hate that. Yeah. Shit. So, so the the workers at the Royal Mail have not yet announced the date for the start of their strike. Uh, from like reading stuff about it, it really seems like they are trying to basically be like, look, we would prefer genuinely not to strike, but you got to give us an actual race. Mm-hmm. They're like, we 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 will let give you more time to come up with a raise, but if you don't come up with one. We will strike. <laughs> so, like, uh, yeah, we'll we'll you know we'll let folks know when they've actually you know announced closer to a, an actual date. But speaking of actual continuing strikes, as Lena said at the top of this story, the RMT have announced that the government has continued to refuse to actually meet what the workers need at the rail, and so they will be continuing with rail shutdowns. Uh, They say that there have been some progress in negotiations, but nowhere near enough. So Mick Lynch came out and explained, we've made progress on compulsory redundancies, but Network Rail are still seeking to make our members poorer when we have won, in some cases, double what they are offering with other rail operators. The public, who will be inconvenienced by our strike action, need to understand that it is the government shackling of network rail and the TOCs that means the rail network will be shut down for 24 hours. And, and so uh, on July 27th, which is Wednesday of this week that we are recording, uh, they will go on another 24-hour strike if the you know conditions are still not met. They plan to also have one-day work stoppages on July 30th, August 18th, August 20th, and as they've said, they're like, these will continue (laughs) until they get a fair contract. And so really glad to see, you know, the RMT continuing to hold the line here. And I do think that this is a, it's an interesting strategy of like these continuous one day strikes, but I think we've seen some real success with it because, and you know, when we've been reporting on this, I haven't seen some big surge in like public discontent because these have been, single days dis- disruptions right. but they absolutely have an enormous impact on you know the pocketbooks of the fucking rail executives and so i think that they've managed to find a very smart tactical way of you know doing a very disruptive shutdown of shutting down the entire na- like national rail system without alienating the public which is a, a, can be a really difficult needle to to thread when the press is owned entirely by, you know, the giant corporations or the Tory government and are so basically nearly uniformly against the workers. So, I I mean, really, I think really good understanding of like how to run tactics for this sort of strike by the RMT. Yeah. Well, and staying in Europe and staying in in repression of the unions, we're actually going to be moving over to a story that was, we are thankful to our uh, our listener Matteo in the discord who did this translation for us where the where the Italian government has been raiding uh, unions and charging them with illegal strikes uh, to basically stop some of these more uh, militant unions that are trying to protest things like the NATO aggression in Ukraine um, and and there was there's been a lot of repression in this regard. Yeah. So like we, these are a couple of unions that we've talked about in the past, like, uh, apologies for my poor Italian pronunciation, but like Unione Sindicale de Base, or I don't know if it's Basse, uh, but like, and also Cobas and, uh, you know, other militant trade unions in Italy who have faced 
various forms of escalating repression. Like we, were, we reported a couple months ago, there was a government raid on the USB's headquarters in search of hidden weapons uh, that oh, yeah. just coincidentally happened right after they protested Italy's involvement in NATO's aggression. Uh, definitely no connection there. And now, you know, the authorities in Italy are really ramping up their attack on militant unions in Italy. So like last week on July 19th, police placed eight leading trade unionists from Sikobas and the USB under house arrest, uh, including Sikobas's uh, national organizing director, Aldo Milani. And <laughs> I kept reading through these articles and I really appreciate our, our friend Matteo, like providing these, these translations uh, because like Google translate is not good at Italian. <laughs> um, so, uh, I really appreciate that, but it took me a while to figure out what was going on, not because of the language barrier, but because this, the whole concept of this arrest just seems so confusing because the, the organizers are being charged of carrying out strikes, which that in and of itself is apparently becoming a crime in, in Italy now, which is, you know, not a great thing to see uh, like specifically what the charges that are being brought from these prosecutors are, is that they have been working to mobilize workers in Italy's logistics sector at companies like Amazon, FedEx and other big, you know, shipping firms to fight for better wages and working conditions. And because of the fact that there's a national contract for logistics works and these workers are trying, these organizers are trying to get the workers to fight for something better the government has just declared that the strikes are extortion and that they are against the public interest. Yeah, That's I insane. think that we've seen a history of this in Italy before. Uh, Unfortunately. If you look it up, you're going to be pretty appalled. Yeah, well, I mean, isn't their government collapsing right now, too? Like, didn't Draghi yes. just have to resign? And I saw a bunch of articles that were like uh progressives should be scared after what happened to draghi and i'm like are you calling this guy a progress <laughs> like he was a banker before he yeah. started running the country he's a conservative like let's be absolutely yeah. clear well and this is all happening at the same time like this the, you have this increased repression of unions at the same time that now that the draghi government has been dissolved and they're go moving towards new elections currently the front runner party at least that i saw is like a ne literal neo-fascist party, like the mm. descendants of like Mussolini's fascist party. So one of, the, like, one of those places that Steve Bannon went to when he was briefly outside uh, yeah. the United States. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, exactly yeah. what I was referring to when I talked about the history. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so Sikobas issued a statement responding to the arrest saying, it's a very heavy assault on the freedom of unions and the right to strike, brought on by a sector of the judiciary that has already distinguished itself over the years for its anti-union action with complaints, arrests, and residence bans. With accusations of violence and extortion, they want to suppress workers' struggles against exploitation and for wages at a time when Italian and international owners and speculators are robbing wages while prices have increased 8%, 10% for low-income families, and more. A generalized fight to defend the purchasing power is urgent. And so, like, yeah. So, in response, thankfully, that's one of the, the encouraging things, though, 
is that it seems like this has launched a pretty pretty strong response from the public in Italy. Like immediately the day after, there was a call for like national logistics disruptions by members of these unions. There were rallies held in Milan, Turin, Rome, Naples, Genoa, and other cities alongside progressive parties, including the Italian Communist Party. Um, it, like the Socialist Party, Power to the People, uh, at was at one of those rallies and was quoted as saying, what do the prosecutors really want to punish the unions for? For having defended workers' rights, for having created organizational tools, and above all, for winning. That's right. <laughs> they hate us because we keep winning. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's no wonder the the conservatives are so happy to always tolerate the Democrats because the Democrats never fucking win anything. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the, because that's the thing, and I've seen some places point this out, that it's like, that. There's a reason that it's these unions that have been so specifically targeted mm-hmm. for this and not say, for instance, like the CGIL, not that the CGIL, which is like the big giant uh, trade union federation in Italy, not that they don't do good stuff, That, but like sort of like the AFL-CIO, you know, they tend to be a bit more milk toast. whereas like these guys, like the USB, Cobas are out there very like militant in their action, really trying to constantly improve stuff. And so, of course, become a thorn in the side of bourgeois politicians and more importantly, you know, the ruling class that keeps them in power. And so like there has been like messages of solidarity coming in from like trade union federations all over, like not just Europe, but like, the world, like there was a there was a, a um, message put out by the World Federation of Trade Unions that condemned the repression, saying trade unions and trade unionists are openly and shamelessly persecuted for defending their class interests and fighting for decent working and living conditions. This new attack must not go unanswered by the class trade union movement and by all those who oppose the authoritarian practices that are increasingly being imposed all over the world. And so they called for protests at Italian embassies around the world this weekend to condemn the attack. And there were, you know, more messages of solidarity from unions in Argentina, Cyprus, Greece, Russia, Palestine, Spain, India, like, so like there, it was really good to see like trade unions from around the world, like standing with these folks. And then on Saturday, uh, the unions and their supporters and like socialist parties held a major rally in, uh, Piazza, uh, Piacenza, yeah, yeah, um, where the which is where the prosecutor who issued these arrests is based, and so they had thousands of workers out there in the streets on Saturday demonstrating to demand the release of the arrested unions and to end the assault on the labor movement in Italy. So, I mean, this is uh, this is an escalation by the right wing forces in Italy, and it's really really good to see the the re- energetic response from the working class in Italy, but it is still a a pretty, not a, it's kind of an ominous development. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pretty worrisome. Uh, well, we'll make sure to try to keep up on this story, but you know, it would not be a work stoppage episode without (laughs) our segment that has been going on for months now on Starbucks. And we are going to start, by, you know, how workers have continued to fight back uh, against the incredible union-busting tactics that have been going on. Uh, Just fucking wild shit when it comes to store closings. And and so the workers are fighting back by going out on strike. Uh, There is, uh, on on Tuesday, July 19th, uh, Clifton Township, Michigan, had gone on strike. And then uh, workers in August... uh, yeah, in August, Georgia also went on strike for retaliating against, uh, you know, the union. And um, 
Got to make sure to you know and point this out because we always do this, but uh, check the show notes, folks, because there are uh, strike funds and and solidarity funds, and uh, honestly. Uh, you can almost get, make a whole paper just by going through our show notes for all of the different uh, strike funds that have been going on. But on top of that, uh, there have been uh, uh, on top of that on Friday, workers at the Twelfth and Walnut store in Philly went out on strike to protest the company's retaliation as well. Yeah, and then you also had workers at the 874 Commonwealth Avenue store in Boston who went on strike. And this strike is the first indefinite strike of the current wave of strikes. So it doesn't have any kind of like set end to it. And that takes a lot of nerve to go out there and say, like, look, Mm -hmm. we're just striking until our demands are met, Uh, which, you know, as we know from doing the show, some strikes can last months or even years. Uh, so with, with the high level of retaliation that Starbucks has been engaging in, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if their demands were not met for quite some time. So it, it takes uh, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of guts to do that. And so some of their demands are that they want Starbucks to remove a new manager who was brought in after the store unionized, who unsurprisingly immediately began slashing hours. Uh, purpose who also purposefully left shifts understaffed and removed pride month decorations that the workers had set up. Uh, the workers being majority LGBTQ were told they could not display a pride flag year round. And the manager also repeatedly misgendered employees and selectively enforced company dress code policies against black workers at the store. So it's almost, uh, like a parody of what yeah. you would think of when you think of a bigoted manager. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and not e- and I mean, it's also just commonplace as far as I can tell. I mean, maybe I'm just, just talking from my experience at the one place I worked, but there's constant misgendering and constant disrespect of LGBT folks at the very least. And then I'm not even surprised at all that there's a bunch of racial discrimination. Yeah. So, like, there was a quote here. Um, Spencer Costigan, who is the lead uh, shift lead at the store, told Liberation News... The new manager has been, quote, consistently racist, homophobic, and transphobic, making insensitive remarks about people's appearances, misgendering people, and removing gay pride flags on display at our majority LGBTQIA plus store. She's no respect for all of us who make sure the store functions, and we are fed up. And so, yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a, a step forward in in like the the strike tactics, because like, as you mentioned, John, like most of the strikes that we've been talking, really all the strikes we've been talking about have either been one day or like one weekend Mm -hmm. sort of deals. Most, the vast majority have been single day, um, strikes. This one though, is more of what I think people are used to when they hear strike, which is like, we have specific demands and we have a fucking union. (laughs) And so you need to negotiate with us about these demands or we're not going back to work and we're keeping the store shut down. And so because of the fact that it is an indefinite strike and not one of these little, like the the short one day ones, which are still good. I don't mean to seem like I'm like diminishing them, but like this, the indefinite strike means as you were saying, like it's going to take a bit more support. And so this is where the major strike fund that Workers United put together which has gotten donations from several other major unions. I think like the AFT has, has, has donated to it as, as well as several others. Um, and so these workers will be receiving 70% of their normal wages during the strike because they have that strike fund 
back up with it. The other thing that though that's great is to see the other unions showing solidarity where like Teamster drivers have refused deliveries to the store in solidarity with the strike, which is awesome. And they've been holding consistent rallies. So like on Tuesday the 18th, they held a rally uh, at the store with many, you know, local unions and community groups. I know that like every socialist group that I'm aware of in Boston has been, been out there supporting it. Uh, like I know, you know, PSL has been out there. DSA has been out there. All the various, you know, parties have been out there, which is good. Always love to see, you know, people coming together to support workers, which rocks. So yeah, I mean, this is a, a big step forward for the movement. And I mean, this sort of thing though, from this manager, like it's, it's, it got to the point where these workers needed to go out on strike to solve it, but it's right in line with this systematic effort by the company to basically try and force pro-union workers out of unionized stores by purposefully short-staffing, by doing this aggressive, awful management in order to make their lives a living hell. Because, you know, we've been seeing this at other places, like workers in Ithaca have faced similar hours cuts and short-staffing. Like one worker at at one of the the College Ave store, I believe, in, in Ithaca said... That they call this is uh, Stephanie Heslop who referred to it as eco- economic and psychological warfare, and she explained the impact, saying that the underscheduling is genius on their part. Customers and our pitiful paychecks punish us, and Starbucks can claim that it's about business needs. So yeah. I mean, going right uh, back, Howard Schultz says we're going to make the workers scream. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, more or less. But I mean, it. You go back to that, the same shit with like. Chipotle, oh, we have to close the store because we can't staff people, even though they can. Or Amy's Kitchen, we have to close this plant because sh- supply chains. <laughs> like It's all this same shit. And this is one of the things that's so frustrating to me about the Starbucks thing is that the Democrats are playing right into this horse shit because, you know, we saw last week when we talked, or maybe two weeks ago, when, how, when they announced they were going to close all these stores in the Pacific Northwest because of crime, scare quotes. Mm-hmm. And, like... As long as like Joe Biden and the fucking Dems are out here acting like it's 1993 and it's time to be doing this law and order bullshit to try and out right wing the right wing and out there like, oh, I got COVID, but don't worry, I'm working. And what am I working on? I'm working on getting 100,000 more cops on the street. Like that was Joe Biden's Friday. Well, and I just want to talk to about one of the talking points about the store closures because a lot of the people would be like, oh, but it's not a majority of stores that are union that are closing. But if you actually do it out, you're like okay so how many stores in starbucks are union it's about two percent that have even filed or made some sort of claim that they're union and then the amount of of uh stores that are being closed is it's almost like 30 percent of the stores that are being closed is that is that right yeah yeah three yeah. percent of the stores have filed or are already unionized and of the stores that they've announced closures of it's 30 percent of those are involved in the union drive showing a, a 10x an order of magnitude higher level of union stores which is yeah it's like that is you've moved beyond statistically significant correlation there and moved right into your oh that's why they're doing this right. sort of thing absolutely yeah yeah i just wanted to make sure um, to make that point because it's you know sometimes it's hard to know where to push back back against people who have these like notions like oh no it's not actual worker repression when it clear very clearly is and sometimes if you don't have those things kind of you know explained to you in those terms it can be hard to to remind people that these are literal retaliations against workers and unions and that the other stores that are closing are you know just a uh basically to cover up the fact that they're doing crimes mm-hmm. well, and it- 
Well, and it also points to why you know we are so one of the many reasons why we're so you know hard on the AFL CIO for not evicting the cops unions because like this is yet another example of how if you play along with these right wing law and order narratives and talk about how concerned you are about crime even though crime is at a lower level than it's been in fucking decades like it's just going to get weaponized against workers in addition to, you know, the fact that the cops are out there murdering black people and brown people and, and putting migrants in concentration camps and all the other horrific things that they're doing every day. It's like by playing into these narratives, you are just enabling this shit that companies are doing against their workers. And that's why it's so important for all of our unions, even if they're not, you know, explicitly radical that you have to, you have to fucking pick a side in this. You can't straddle the fence on this stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, the, and then again, it's not just about like the, oh, we're playing to the right wing talking points. Is that They're just wrong. Is that that a lot of oh, the things too. about it is are they're just inaccurate, that they're not doing worker repression and that it's not bullshit. Like I, I, yeah. I definitely, uh, you know, love to to make sure that we're being clear. And even if there's something similar uh, about a point, whether it be like, you know, being against the war in Ukraine, uh, you know, like there's there are right wing people in there, but there's it's a totally different reasoning. And it needs to be very clear why the right wing people are just touting out bullshit, uh, even if, you know, there are I just don't I don't want to fall into the, the the thing of, oh, you're just helping the enemy because that's not actually always very constructive and also is not informative to us as to why we need to be holding these positions. Well, and I mean, thankfully, though, with all this repression going on, there are still continuing to be win after win after win for the Starbucks Workers United movement. So on Tuesday, July 19th, we got actually a bunch of unanimous wins, which was fucking great. Workers at the Clifton Boulevard and Mayfield and Lee stores uh, in Cleveland and the 4th and 4th, that's an interesting intersection, at Salt Lake City, all voted unanimously to unionize last Tuesday, which that fucking rules. We love to see it. I mean, getting a unanimous union election in Utah, impressive. Hell yeah. <laughs> well done. Um, and then uh, on Wednesday, workers at the Perryville Road Store in Rockford, Illinois, won their election in a <laughs> landslide near unanimous 16 to 2 vote. And then on Friday, we hit an enormous milestone when Starbucks Workers United uh, got their 200th union Starbucks when the University Circle Store in Cleveland became their most recent store to unionize. So we have now gone from zero unionized Starbucks at the beginning of last December to 200 in like about seven months. Yeah, that's incredible. It's so incres- incredibly impressive that these workers have been able to stand, stand so strong and have such a huge win percentage of like stores that have actually gone to union elections uh, having an over 80% success rate. I mean, it it's really, really heartening to see this. And it's one of the reasons why we always put this segment in, not just because it's super important and cool, but because uh, because there's so much news. Like, <laughs> we've, we've actually just covered, like, 10 different stories just in that Starbucks, uh, this Starbucks segment, this, this episode. Absolutely. But uh, cons- I guess uh, 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 meme review... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Segways are hard. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we have our... Speaking of things that are incredible. Right, yeah. <laughs> Did you know that, uh, again, nobody wants to work? And you know what's so funny is I, I saw in the in the local, one of the local groups that I'm in, uh, that people were posting that. And I love having this particular graphic, uh, which is the nobody wants to work anymore. And then it's just excerpts from newspapers starting in 2022 going all the way back to 1894 with uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 or so different examples throughout that over 100-year history of newspapers being like, nobody wants to work anymore. And not just like, oh, similar things. They're literally the words, <laughs> yeah. nobody wants to work anymore. Yeah, like, that's the thing, like, because, I mean, we're not going to read all of these, but, like, you have the one from this year, which is, according to a new survey released by Tiny Pulse, one in five executive leaders agrees with this statement. No one wants to work. And so, but then you scroll back. Well, here's uh, 1952. Everybody was getting too darn lazy, and nobody wants to work anymore. That's the truth, if I ever heard it. (laughs) And then we go down to 1922, so 100 years ago. It is because nobody wants to work anymore. <laughs> and then we go back to the lo- oldest one on here from 1894. We're back in the fucking 19th century where it says it is becoming apparent that nobody wants to work these hard times. Man, <laughs> I didn't know the hard times was around back then. That is wild. <laughs> yeah, so uh, whenever you hear this shit or any of the sort of, you know, corollaries like, Oh, like Gen Z or like kids these days don't have a real work ethic. This is, it's the capitalist refrain that they have been trotting out every year since probably the fucking 1600s mm-hmm. when capitalism was like invented and like <laughs> i bet it was even the, during the pen- peasants just don't want <laughs> to serve their lords anymore yeah nobody <laughs> wants to do corvée anymore yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and oh, then man. our next meme is uh, the motherfucking chair zone, which right. is a response, I believe, to someone being like, oh, we should get rid of libraries because Amazon has all the books and, <laughs> or whatever, where it's, you know, it costs a couple cents to run a library and it costs uh, hundreds of dollars to actually order books from Amazon. But the, this is a, a skeleton holding up a book that says all landlords suck. Uh, and the, the text <laughs> I, on that. Yeah. I love that the cover of the book is like, it's a picture of like an upper story window with a skeleton looking mm-hmm. out of it. So it's like a book by skeletons for skeletons about how skeleton landlords suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's very true. And the, the text on this one is, have you heard off this shit called the library? <laughs> Everything's free there. See ya, Bezos. <laughs> Hell yeah. I fucking love the library. I wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't be into half the shit I'm in into if I wasn't at the library, like every night as a teenager and, uh, kids today don't even go to the library anymore. All they know is prime day Chipotle burrito (laughs) bowl and lie. (laughs) Yeah. So our next one on here, this is a, uh, basically a modified, uh, Dunkin' Donuts ad where you've got a couple of pictures of coffee on here. You've got your standard Dunkin' font, but it's now America runs on the merciless exploitation of the working class. That's right. <laughs> by wow. uh, Man, uh, a honest new, version. Right, yeah. A, meme, a memer by the name of Sleepy Boat, which I like. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good name. <laughs> well, you don't want to be you don't want to be jittery if you're a boat. It's already rocky out there. <laughs> yeah, and then we uh, have been continually profiling this wonderful meme page. Uh, we've got our you know the share zone. We've got you know the teenage stepdad. Well, now we've got cats in hard hats. That's right. And uh, you know this is uh, just a cat screaming. Uh, and the text on this one is, it's always a great day to scream into the void. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's very, a little, I don't know if you can see statement. it, but there's a, there is a black cat inside of the void. Oh, oh that's what that spot is. <laughs> I see oh, it yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> it's approaching the event. I couldn't tell because they don't have a hard hat. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's it's unsafe. We need to get that cat a hard hat. Yeah. Where's the black hole? OSHA. <laughs> Probably spaghettified. Uh, and, and then for our last one, uh, this one, like, <laughs> I mean, this is more of just like a real conversation where you've got like, especially last week with the, the, the heat wave, if you're on like the East Coast or in Western Europe, like uh, you've got this like anthropomorphic sun pointing at a little blue heart while this like, flower is just like wailing in agony and there's a dead bee on the ground tragic and the sun is just pointing at the heart being like revolution or apocalypse and then the heart responds very very warily i thought we had more time to choose and then there's a little bird just on the bottom like next to him responding you don't and so you don't. this one isn't exactly the funniest meme out there but i threw it in here because um we're gonna rate it's this true? one. Yeah, we're gonna rate this one one hundred trues out of a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one makes well, me kind of sad. But yeah. on yeah. that note, bye everyone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Want to thank you so much if you support our show. If you'd like to actually, uh, you know, monetarily support us, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/WorkStoppage. Give us five bucks a month and. What that allows you to get is a bunch of overtime episodes where we explain, you know, the repressive state apparatus, uh, rank and file unionism, a bunch of other cool stuff. We ha- you can get our uh, interview with the uh, with the North Carolina Amazon worker who is organizing, you know, the warehouse RDU one. Um, and we have a bunch of other content and also you're just supporting us cause we're an independently, uh, funded show. We don't take any ad money or anything like that. And if you don't have uh, the money to do that, jump in the discord. Uh, that's free for everyone. Message one of the admins. We'd be happy to hook you up with some of that really great info. If you want to also help us out more, give us a review. You can follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. You can listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity, everyone. Solidarity, everybody. Oh, great defender. Listen to
Oh, <laughs> 